Good morning, how are we doing? Good. Good to see you today. Go ahead and take your note sheets out of your program this morning. You can follow along uh, with me. We are in week four uh, of this series on the Sermon uh, on the Mount. And uh, in uh, today's passage, uh, Jesus uh, addresses uh, a problem that was running wild uh, among uh, the people of his day, and mainly among like the legalistic people uh, of his day. And I think it's a problem that we you know, probably struggle with here uh, in our society uh, as well. And it was this. It had become okay for people to carefully word their commitments in such a way that they could easily get out of them if they wanted to. So, so for example, like two people get married in those times and their vows were similar to ours today, right? The groom would make this lifelong commitment to uh, his bride. And, and you probably know that back then, uh, women didn't have legal rights. And so a man could divorce his wife, but a woman could not divorce her Husband. So that's just the way it was back then. The law said this in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 5. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Here's what that meant. That meant if that a man found anything that he didn't like about his wife, he could simply give her a certificate of divorce and free himself of any obligation to her. And the concept was based on the reference from the Old Testament. So, so Deuteronomy 24.1, well, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and and sends her out of his house she departs uh, out of the house so so in jesus day many people interpreted the mosaic permission for divorce is that you could get like a divorce for like any reason so so some rabbis taught that uh, that that this extended to allowing um, a man to divorce his wife if she like like put too much salt on the food. Yeah, like see you later. Right, burnt the breakfast. Bye bye. You know, if she spoke to another man on the street, or, or simply if he found someone else more desirable than she was, he could break his commitment and get a divorce for almost any reason. And Jesus is like, whoa, time out. Wait a second. We got to put on the brakes here. He says, like, it's not quite that simple. You don't, like, treat your wife that way. You can't just get rid of her on a whim. You don't break your word that easily without some serious consequences. So Jesus, in verse 32, he comes back and he says this. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
So, so the issue of divorce revolved around this strict or loose interpretation of this word indecency in Deuteronomy 24.1. So, so those that wanted to make divorce easy, right? They have this like wide open, loose interpretation. But Jesus here in verse 32 makes it plain the idea of indecency is sexual immorality, not anything that the wife might do to make the husband, like, mad. So Jesus teaches more fully on marriage and divorce in Matthew 19, but here we see the intent of Jesus getting back to the intent of the law instead of allowing it to be used as this easy permission for divorce. Then he goes on to say it causes her to commit adultery. So an an illegitimate divorce gives place to adultery because God doesn't recognize the the divorce, right? It is possible for a person to have a divorce that's recognized by the state but not by God. And then he says if that person goes on to marry someone else, God considers that relationship adultery because he sees them, what, as still married. And then Jesus starts to talk about these other vows and oaths that we make in verses 33 through 37. Again, I'm getting pretty good at quieting the room, aren't I? (laughs) Whose idea was it to do the Sermon on the Mount anyway? It goes a little bit beyond the Beatitudes, doesn't it? So verse 33, again, you have heard... It was said to, the, the, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of, a great, uh, of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no, and anything more than this comes from evil. So so he says, you have heard it said, right? We've heard that statement over and over again. You shall not swear falsely. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they twisted the law, right? Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? They twist that all up. And, and as we begin to understand the common first century Jewish practice, it helps us to see what Jesus was driving at in his teaching on oaths and vows. So, so to keep people from breaking the laws and the rules regarding promises and, and Numbers 31 and 2, just jot that down in your notes, the Jewish teachers and leaders, they invent this system by which they can determine whether a vow should be kept or not. And so we know from some other sources outside of the Bible that many rabbis didn't, did not consider it a sin to break a vow if it was not made clearly in the name of God. Okay, here we go. So oaths made in the name of heaven were not regarded as ultimately binding. And so as you might expect, what did people do? Well, they made oaths by persons or objects or anything other than God, right? 
to give them this out in case they didn't want to keep their word. Now go back to Matthew 5. Jesus points out the foolishness of the teaching by reminding them that God is what? He is omnipresent, right? Now that means that he is everywhere. And so you might think you can get out of your obligations because they didn't swear an oath on the name of the Lord, but the creator of, uh, of the universe? Seriously? Right? He's present. He's the sovereign creator of all. And all things exist by his authority. And so to swear an oath at all is to finally swear an oath in his name. And so you can twist it up. You can change it all you want. It's not, it doesn't give you the right to have a get out of oath free card. Right? And then he goes on to say, do not take an oath at all. And Jesus reminds us that God is a part of, of every oath anyway. So, so you could swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem, swear by God, whatever, your, your oath, what, needs to be honored. And then he says, let your yes be yes. And really, having to swear or make an oath demonstrates our weakness in our word. It says that there's not enough weight in our own character to confirm your word. And how much better is it just to say, let my yes be yes and my no be no? And so Jesus is challenging us to make our commitments and vows with integrity. And to remember that we are accountable, right? Not to the law, right? Not to the people around us, but we are accountable to God himself. Jesus is challenging us to be people of our word, to keep our vows and commitments and promises that we make. And so the passage of Scripture this morning throws a, shows us three habits that we need to develop to become people of our word. Go ahead and take your note sheets out, and we'll go over this this morning. And I don't know if you struggle with, with the sin of breaking promises, but, but here are some things that we can do to establish credibility, right? Three habits become people of our word. Number one is to stop looking for loopholes, right? So, so it would be like if somebody said that they had grounds to divorce their spouse because their spouse had committed adultery based on, uh, on Matthew 5, 28, right? We looked at that last week, and, and Jesus said, if you look at another person lustfully, you've already committed uh, adultery in your heart, but this would be faulty reasoning to say, since my spouse maybe have admitted to having lustful thoughts, now I have biblical grounds to uh, divorce him. That's exactly the legalistic loophole that Jesus is speaking against. Right? His point of the passage is not to help us find the back door. His point is that we need to take our vows more seriously. Because if we try, we can find whatever excuse we can come up with to get out of any commitment that we make. So, so there's a guy that goes to the psychiatrist and he says, Doctor, I'm falling apart. I'm like losing my mind here. I'm hearing voices going crazy. He, he's like, you have to help me. And, and so he said, if I write you a check for $50,000, um, would you help me? And the doctor says, yeah, I, I think I can help. And so the man you know, goes to the psychiatrist. Less than a month of intense 
therapy, the guy's feeling good. So he comes to this session, has nothing but great things to say about how the doctors helped him not to hear voices anymore. He's like happier than he's ever been uh, before. And so the doctor says, well, I'm glad to hear you say that. Let's talk about the $50,000 you promised me. And the guy says this. He says, if I were willing to pay you $50,000 for a few weeks of therapy, it would only prove two things. One, I'm still crazy. And two, you haven't cured me. Right? So, so the point of my little story there, right, is that this guy, he finds a loophole. Right? And he finds a loophole, and what does he do? He just like jumps right through that dude. But life doesn't work that way. Jesus says there are no loopholes. You can't twist the wording of our promises around to make them more suitable uh, to you. So Solomon puts it this way in Ecclesiastes 5.4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you uh, vow. So, so God doesn't take broken vows lightly. You know, I think it's a commonly overlooked sin among Uh, among God's people, the sin of broken promises. Promising things to God and then failing to live up to that vow. And those that honor God will not be quick to make vows to God, number one. Right? Secondly, they'll be serious about fulfilling vows made. And thirdly, we'll regard broken vows as sins to confess and be repented of. So as far as God is concerned, when it comes to making commitments and promises... Right? There's not like small print at the bottom. Right? There are no loopholes. And basically what Jesus is saying here is you can't pull scripture out of context to justify your actions. So if you make a promise, keep it. Right? Leads us to the second principle. Number two, realize you have to live with it till you live up to it. Right? This is a principle that's saying when we make a promise to our kids, our spouse, employer, right, anyone else for that matter, we need to fulfill that promise. Right? You can't change your mind, can't back out of the deal, right? It doesn't work that way. You have to live with your promises until you've lived up to them. And we see this all the time with like professional athletes, right, who are under contract and they, and they play for a huge amount of money and then suddenly they decide that that player over here makes $2 more than they do and so now we need to renegotiate our contract because I got to make 50 cents more than that guy. It's not like they're a free agent or anything. I'm talking about those that renegotiate before their contract is up. In 1999, Lou Holtz was hired as the football coach at South Carolina University. Since the Super Bowl's coming up, I thought I'd use a football analogy. Right? In his first season there, he was 0-11, right? Didn't win a game. In season two, they went 7-4 and and went to a bowl game for the first time in, like, who knows how long. So, so at the end of the second year, the reporter asked Lou, hey, due to your success this year, are you going to want a new contract? Here's what Lou said. He said, no, I'm not. Last year when I was 0 and 11, they didn't ask me to work for less money. Right? Why should I expect to be paid more for doing the job I was hired to do? And that's to win football games. 
Now, now Lou Holtz could have came up with a number of good reasons why he shouldn't have had to keep his old contract, but that's not what he did. Right? He said, I'm in an agreement and I'm going to keep it. Last part of Psalms 15.4, David says a righteous man keeps their promises even when it hurts. I don't know about you, but I found myself in situations where, like, I promised more than I could deliver. Right? Whether it was time or, or skill. Yeah, I can help you do that. No, I can't. Right? It's not, not a great feeling. Now, nevertheless, we can't change our promise midstream, right? We have to live with it until we live up to it. And maybe you made promises that you regret, even to the point where it hurts. But what do we do? We do everything we can to fulfill that obligation. Now, now I'm going to say something that's really unpopular. But I'm going to say it anyway. Right? It's just, you can't break your vow of marriage because you're unhappy. Unpopular statement. I get it. But there are biblical conditions for divorce. We're going to look at them in a couple of weeks. I'm not going to tell you exactly when because I want you to come back. Okay? But we will look at them. But I can tell you right now, one of them is, uh, or one of them's not, I'm not happy. Right? Can't back out of a promise just because it's become inconvenient. Then there's a third thing we can do to establish credibility, and that is this. Number three, from now on, avoid making careless promises. Ecclesiastes 5.5, it's better that you should not uh, vow than uh, that you should not vow and not pay. Right? You, you've probably have said something like this at one point uh, in your life. I know I have. It's like, You've said to God, when you find yourself in a bad spot, God, if you get me out of this bad situation, then, then I'll do this, and you fill in the blank. Right? Like, I'll become a missionary to Africa or whatever. Have you said that to God, and then God fixes your situation, and now you find yourself in a quandary? Well, like, do I go to Africa? Right? Do I give God what I promised? The lesson here is obviously not to make promises that we don't intend to keep. And I think most of us don't make promises with the intention of breaking them, but sometimes we make careless promises. Right? Like out of desperation, we'll promise to be somewhere when our schedules don't allow it. I'm the king of double booking myself, I confess. All right? All the time. What Ecclesiastes 5 is saying is that it's better not to make the promise than to make the promise and not keep it. So broken promises destroy credibility with others. And they actually build a wall between you and God. So we should make fewer promises and really think about it before we commit to it. And the goal here is this, is that when someone looks you in the eye and says, do I have your word on that, you can truthfully respond with, I said I would do it, and what stronger word can I, can I give? That's the goal that Jesus wants us to strive for, right? Matthew 5.37 says it well. Let, let what you say simply be yes or no. Nothing more than that comes from evil. After that, all you can do is keep your word. You can't add strength to, to, to your words by, say, by, by saying, like, I mean it, or this time I really mean it, or this time I really, really, really mean it. Right? My guess is the more times you have to say really, the less times you're likely to be able to keep that promise. 
There's only one way you convince anyone that you're a person of your word, and that's to back up your words with actions. And the key is not to get them to believe the promises you make. The key is to only make promises that you have the power to keep. Have you ever made a vow or a commitment or a promise to someone? And all you're thinking about is, how do I get out of it? We should be thinking is what? How do I fulfill it? So as far as God's concerned, there are no loopholes. There are no back doors. When you live with it till you lived up to it, you'll finish fulfilling your obligation. At that point, you'll know that you've done something that pleases God, no matter how hard or how much it hurts. In the meantime, we can save ourselves and others a lot of frustration if we're just careful with the promises that we make. And ultimately, we don't answer to the boss or our spouse or anyone else. You and I answer to who? We answer to God. And he wants us to take our promises seriously, even when it hurts. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, your word today. And God, you know our hearts. And God, so many of us make promises with all the best intentions. But God, sometimes it's just hard to follow through. And and God, I pray that you would help us be people of our word. God, help us to create the habits so that we can do what we say we'll do. Whether it's to have a quiet time or, or, or spend more time doing ministry or whatever it is, Lord. Help our yes be yes and our no be no. God, help us to, to know you better. To, to realize how much you really do love us. And God, I know you have a plan for the life of this church for these people. So, God, we give it to you today. God, again, thank you for your, your word, the Bible. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.